Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all this morning on this uh, Palm Sunday. And uh, how, how many come this morning and you really are ready for God to speak to you? Uh, I, I need to know that. You know, maybe, and maybe you're here and you say, I never even thought about God speaking to me, but I believe that God wants to speak to you this morning. I believe that you have come to this place um, not expecting God to speak to you, but suddenly He will. And uh, I am believing God that people's lives will be changed here this morning by the power of His Word. It's not because John King speaks, it's not because of the wonderful worship, but it's because God loves you so much that He's looking for you, He's searching for you, He'll never give up on you, and He wants to see you come to a real understanding of who He is and His destiny and future for your life. So this morning we're here on Palm Sunday and we begin this process of following Jesus over a period that took about 57 days. Uh, It took Him from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to His trial and then His crucifixion, of course, on Mount Calvary to then the glorious resurrection that happened on Easter Sunday and then to His ascension when He was caught up in a cloud and uh, having 500 people, people having seen Him alive, now witness Him being caught up and taken back to the Father. And so it, it is an amazing day. And then they come to this day about 50 days after Easter called the day of Pentecost. And amazing things happened on that day. So this morning I want to talk to you about three crowds. I want to talk to you about the crowd that gathered on Palm Sunday. I then want to talk to you about the crowd that gathered on Good Friday. And then going right ahead to look at that crowd that gathered on the day of Pentecost. When Jesus had now ascended and the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven. And amazing things happened on that day. All these crowd, crowds gathered around Jesus. It, it was Jesus that was the attraction at that time. Uh, it, it's safe to say that in Jerusalem at that time, it wasn't a great big city. It was a small city. And all these events took place in Jerusalem And it's safe to say that nearly everyone who was involved in the first crowd on Palm Sunday was also probably involved on the other two days that we're going to look at on Good Friday and then on the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting to see what happened. They were diverse crowds. They were from different ethnic groups. They were from different social groups, from different age groups. But they were a crowd that saw and witnessed these three days that mark three important days in the history of Christianity. So we begin on Palm Sunday, and I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27, and this is what it says in verse 7 and onwards. It says, And they brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their clothes on them, and set him on them, And a very great multitude, a great crowd, spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So this was a pretty large crowd that gathered, mostly people that had heard stories about Jesus People who had heard about the wonders that he had performed. People who had heard about the wonderful teaching that he had brought. Of course, there was no computers in those days. There was no TVs and no newspapers as such. So this was the very first time for many of them to see him who they had heard by word of mouth. They'd just been hearing about this prophet from Nazareth that now was coming into Jerusalem And as he comes in riding on this donkey, the crowd goes absolutely wild and now begins to shout out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a remarkable day. It was a day that would be marked in their memories from that day on. If journalists were ever writing about it in their day, they would use words like marvelous and moving and inspiring as they saw Jesus coming in and the crowd going wild with excitement. On lunch, at lunch on the Monday, many people would be discussing what they had done over the weekend and, and one would be saying that they were in the crowd that watched Jesus come into Jerusalem And they would say, oh, were you there as well? We were there. Where were you standing? It was that kind of event, a tremendous day. Matthew, in telling us exactly what happened, he reports in verse 8, a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I bet the Jerusalem Park District weren't too happy about them doing that to the trees, But the fact was, they were so excited at this amazing spectacle that was going on. The crowd were doing what you would call a makeshift red carpet, a welcome for Jesus as he entered the city. Think about it. You would put your coat down there and and, and in front of that donkey, and now it would have dust on it and who knows what on it. And, and they would, uh, why would they do that? I wondered, why would they lay their courts down? And, and, and why would they uh, do what they did in welcoming Jesus? Well, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, it's like catching a baseball at a home run at a Cubs game. It's such a rare event, you would want to keep the ball. And, uh, and, and you may even put it in a glass case and, and you would tell the story of being there on this rare day when the Cubs actually scored a home run. <laughs> in a similar way, the crowds would pick up their coat and maybe never wear it again. They would put it on the wall of their house and, and they would tell the story of being there the day that Jesus rode into town. It was like a celebrity came to town and you line up and other fans are with you and maybe you try to get an autograph or you even try to shake his hand and when you shake his hand you say, I'll never wash that hand again. And, and, and the fact is it was that kind of event. I think that's what the majority of the crowd was seeing it as. And it speaks right into our culture today. 
You see, 80% of Americans claim that they are Christians. They are broadly supportive of Christianity and the values of Christianity. We hear talk, even in this election, of the uh, support of Judeo-Christian beliefs and values. And this crowd, they were broadly supportive of Jesus and we're interested to see this celebrity comes into town and, um, and, and it was that thousands of people had a, a, a broad kind of belief, uh, an interest in Jesus. They, they were interested to be in the crowd at this event-driven moment. Thousands of people today have an event-driven faith. In other words, they have to be constantly moved and inspired and picked up by something that will excite them again and again. The problem with that kind of faith is this, friends. It's like the magician who one week pulls a rabbit out of the hat to get you excited. Next week, he'll have to pull two rabbits out of the hat. And the third week, who knows what he's going to pull out of the hat? It is event-driven. And the same thing happens in event-driven churches. People only come if the event is better than last week's event. And if it isn't, they're off down the street to some other event-driven church. So it is that on this first Palm Sunday, the crowd that is broadly supportive of Christianity is the crowd that can be easily swayed. See that first... Palm Sunday, they were there because of the interest in Jesus, and they broadly believed in Jesus. It, you know, I, I've heard about him, I've heard what he says, and, I, I, and I'm broadly supportive of who he is. But you know, just five days later, a crowd gathered in Pilate's Hall there, a crowd gathered on Good Friday in Pilate's courthouse, And you can read about it in chapter 27, uh, 26, 27 of Matthew. And and now this crowd that gathers there, many of the same people who had been there on Palm Sunday were in the crowd. Those people who had put their coats down and cut palm leaves and laid them down, they are there now and the mood is dramatically different in Pilate's courthouse. Many who shouted, Hosanna, And now shouting, crucify him. Many who shouted, hail him, are now shouting, nail him. And and now they are there gathered together, some who had confessed to have some kind of faith in Jesus, some broad interest in Jesus, interested in the values of Jesus. They are now so easily swayed that they cry for him to be crucified. And I wonder, I wondered, now how did that happen? What moved that crowd from wanting to make Jesus king to now wanting him nailed to a cross? What moved them from the place of worshiping him to now wanting him dead? What swayed them in their faith so that now the difference from five days on is that they now have outright hatred? Of Jesus. And when I look deeper into the story, I believe a number of things happened that can help us uh, never to go down the same path. I want you to know this morning there's an enemy of your soul that wants you to go down the same path 
as that crowd on Palm Sunday when they now changed and on, on that, uh, in Pilate's Hall on Good Friday, they were crying out, crucify him. I believe, firstly, they were led down a path of distorted truth. If you read Matthew 26, it says in verse 57, Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So, so the chief priests and elders, they're looking for people who can give false testimony against Jesus. They are looking for distorted truth that would sway the crowd. And now the art of deception, friends, is this. The art of deception is telling a lie with enough connection to the truth that people will believe it. That is the art of deception. You tell a lie, bathe it in some truth so that it's now distorted and will lead people astray. This is what the chief priests and elders did. They took truth of what Jesus had said and turned it and twisted it enough to deceive people so that now they would now move away from their place of faith and they believe a lie. See, in John's Gospel, chapter 21, it records Jesus being asked, what sign will you give to prove you are who you say you are? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days, I will rebuild it. The false witnesses, they took those words of Jesus and twisted them and made them a lie. Because what they said in Matthew 26, 57, they said about Jesus, they said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Now, let me put the words of Jesus, the actual words of Jesus up and then the distorted truth in Matthew 20, uh, John 2, verse 19, it says, So Jesus answered and said to him, uh, uh, Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show uh, to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now look at the words of, the, uh, of these false witnesses in Matthew 26, verse 57. Look what they accuse Jesus of. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. There is a subtle difference here because Jesus never said, I am able to destroy the temple of God. He never even mentioned the temple of God. Jesus never ever said he would destroy any temple. He said others would destroy this temple. And he was actually talking of the temple of his body. He was actually talking about the crucifixion when his body would be broken and where he would die for the sins of the world. He was actually speaking of the temple of his body and the fact that he would be crucified. He wasn't even thinking of the temple in Jerusalem, but they twisted the truth to make it sound as if Jesus was saying, I will destroy the temple of God in Jerusalem and in three days I will rebuild it. Jesus wasn't talking about that whatsoever. 
He was saying, you can destroy this temple, my body, and in three days I'll rise again. He was saying, you will crucif- they will crucify me, but in three days I will rise again. Now, how does this apply to us today? The enemy of your soul is always, always seeking to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your faith before you hardly get started in the walk of faith. He wants to take you, even though you've only got a broad kind of faith, you're only uh, just a broadly uh, green follower of Jesus. You, you just like the values of Jesus, but he wants to even destroy that before it can take root and become real faith. And so now it is that you can be sitting in a meeting here and you're broadly supportive of the Christian faith and you're broadly supportive of the values of the Christian faith, but then something happens to you. Maybe a child suffers or a loved one dies or there's a crisis that erupts or there's a catastrophe happening around the world and people are dying and the enemy of your soul, this false witness, steps in and says... Now, didn't God say that he would bless you? Now, now didn't God say, didn't God say that, that, that he loves you? And if you walk with him, powerful things would happen to you and you would be kept from everything bad that ever goes on. The answer to that is, no, he did not. Jesus never said that we would not suffer as Christians. He actually said, in this world, you will have trouble. Listen, the only way, the only way to overcome the enemy's lies, as he distorts the truth, as he misquotes the truth, as he misquotes Scripture, is for you to be in God's Word and finding out what the Word of God actually says. It's that now we we come against the the, the twisting of scriptures by the devil and anyone else comes to that. And we go back to the word and we say, now, what does the word actually say? The only way to overcome the devil's lies, as he distorts and misquotes, is to go back to the scripture and see what it actually says. You know, there's a classic example of this in Luke chapter 4. You will find Jesus is in the desert place. He's being tempted by the devil And the devil comes to him and the devil quotes scripture and twists the scripture something terrible. And Jesus every time was having to come back to him and say, no, it is written. No, it is written. And he beat him by the fact of taking the misquoted scripture and telling him exactly what the scripture said. I I want to challenge you today to be a people that are in the Word of God daily. I want to challenge you today. I want to urge you today that you will be people that read something of the Scripture every day. You say, well, I've tried that, Pastor King, and I don't understand everything that I'm reading. Read it anyway. I want to tell you it's a supernatural book, and even when you don't understand it, there's something happening on the inside of you. You are being changed from the inside out. And the fact is, you should read it anyway. Start at the book of Psalms. That's a great place to start. Go through the Gospels. A great place to start. But read the Word of God. Read as much as you can take in a day. But read the Word of God every day. I urge you to do that. Be people of the Word. 
I want to urge you to, to be in church weekly to hear God's word expounded so that you can learn and grow. Don't get trapped with the lie that many are getting trapped in that says once a month is enough. Don't get trapped in the lie that says I'll go every now and again as I feel like it. No, no, dedicate yourself, commit yourself to being in church and hearing the Word of God expounded so that you can grow by it, so that you can get the Word of God deep inside of you. Commit to hearing God's Word preached. And then as Joe mentioned, get into one of the Wednesday night classes. Hey, we don't put Wednesday night classes on to entertain you. We put Wednesday night classes on because we want to help you grow in your faith and to get deeper into the Word of God so you can stand against the enemy's lies. So that you know how to conduct your marriage, how to conduct your finance, how to go deeper into the Word of God. There's a great class this time that's an apologetics class. You ought to sign up for it and learn the truth of Scripture. Many classes that you could go to that are wonderful classes. Get into a Wednesday night class. Don't believe the distorted lies of Satan as he seeks to lead you down the path away from faith and into the place of unbelief. And so we come and we stand against distorted truth. Not only that, but also as I looked at this, they were led down the path of unbelief by powerful voices, the noise of powerful voices. I'm talking of the chief priests and the elders here, a small group of powerfully influential people. They influenced the crowd. Matthew 27, 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. We're living in a day and age of powerful celebrity voices. Now listen to me. They don't speak against, Christ, against Christianity. They speak against Jesus. Oh, 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 listen. You can have your Christian faith. We're glad you've got religion. Oh, you, it's all right for you to have religion. But now when you begin to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and the only way to God, now you're in trouble. Now you're a bigot. Now you are unreasonable. Now you're arrogant and uncaring of other people's points of view. And powerful voices are pulling thousands of people to a place of unbelief in Jesus. Powerful voices are now pulling people to a place where they, they now, they're broadly supportive of the Christian faith and, and, and it's okay to attend a Christian church, but don't say that Jesus is the Son of God. Don't stand for the truth that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. You know, I, I, I was pleased some time ago, and I've told you this before, to get an invite. I've had a few invites actually now to go down to Springfield to open the, um, the chamber uh, of, of senators there, state senators there, and to open it in prayer. Each of the letters that I've received have had a line in it that says we would appreciate it if you don't mention Jesus. And I said, I, I, I am sorry, but Jesus is my Savior. He's the one who rescued me from hell. 
He's the one who transformed my life. And unless I can mention his name, I'm not coming. Can I ask you this morning, what voices are you listening to? Who are the people saying things in your ears that lead you away from the truth of God's word? What books are you reading? What TV programs are you watching? What politicians are you listening to? I warned you, I warned you last Sunday. I told you last Sunday that when it comes to election time, every politician becomes born again. It's an incredible thing. Who are you listening to? We need to be asking the question, who said that? Was it Oprah? Or was it Alan? Who, who said that? What, what celebrity said that? And then we need to ask the question, what company are we keeping? Are we keeping company who are, of people who are uh, assisting our faith and helping our faith? Or are we keeping company with people who are taking us away from faith? Who are we listening to? What voices are dominant in your life right now? What voices are now leading you down a path that is away from truth and away from faith and away from the place of knowing God in a wonderful way? It is important. These are powerful questions. We need to avoid the lies of Satan and the devilish activity that goes on to drag us to the place of unbelief. So there are distorted truths and then there are powerful voices and then finally, they listened and made foolish choices. They chose Barabbas over Jesus. Matthew 27, 21, the governor answered and said to them, which is the two, of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Now friends, we've all made foolish choices in our time, but this has got to be the one that beats the lot. They chose a notorious prisoner, a notorious prisoner over Jesus. This crowd who five days earlier were shouting for Jesus to be king are now choosing a notorious prisoner over Jesus. And it's mind-blowing. It points to the fact that these people who were once broadly in faith, these people who were once supportive of the values of Jesus, have now slid completely into unbelief. They've now come to a place where they are not believing in Jesus. Even if they'd remained in the place of broadly believing and having a great place for the values they wouldn't have supported Barabbas being crucified, uh, set free and Jesus being crucified. Now listen, can I ask you a question this morning? What choices are you making that puts you in direct opposition to Jesus? Can I ask that again? What choices are you making that puts you in direct opposition to Jesus? What, what decisions are you making that point to the fact that you have chosen someone else over Jesus? What decisions are you making that cause you to be in the place that you've chosen something else 
that you are choosing some other lifestyle that put you in direct opposition to God and His will. And it points to the fact that the enemy of your soul has tricked you and caused you to slip to the place of unbelief and commitment to Jesus Christ. There are thousands of people that are being tricked by Satan every day into making choices of not believing in Jesus because of their way of life and the person, people they want to attach to. They're making choices that now takes them from a belief in Jesus to a place where they're going to do their own thing, never mind what Jesus thinks. They choose their way over God's way. And that choice is Satan's straight path to unbelief. The choice that says, for the path I'm on, I choose to give up Jesus Christ. For the path I'm on, I choose to give up Jesus Christ. It's the path of unbelief. It's the path of distorted truth. It's the path of powerful voices. It's the final, uh, finally the path of foolish choices where we choose other than Jesus. Now, thank God the story doesn't end there. We've looked at the crowd on Palm Sunday. We've looked at the crowd uh, in, in Pilate's Hall on Good Friday. Now I want to take you to the crowd that met together on the day of Pentecost because they are the crowd that was powerfully converted. Listen to what Acts chapter 2 says in verse 36 on. Therefore, let the house of Israel know assuredly, this is Peter speaking, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. So here's the story. Jesus has died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He's been seen by over 500 people alive. And now there came this day where uh, he was on a mountainside with his followers. A cloud comes down and he gets on the cloud and he ascends to heaven and is back at the right hand of God. The disciples were told by Jesus, go back to Jerusalem and just pray and wait on God. And the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit will fill you and empower you. And you will become my witnesses throughout the world. And the fact was that that happened. And they spilled out of the room that they'd been meeting in. And they began to tell people about Jesus. They began to tell them that they had crucified the very Son of God. And this crowd now, this crowd, some of them would have been at Palm Sunday's crowd. They would have been at Pilate's Hall. And now they're here and they're hearing this. And the Bible says they are really moved in their hearts. And they say, what have we done? Peter said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And a powerful thing happened mm -hmm. because the crowd who was sucked into unbelief turned into a crowd powerfully converted. There were people now that made a decision. They came to a conviction about Jesus. They came to a conviction about Jesus being more than just David's son. 
He is the Son of God. He is the one who died. He is the one who rose again. He is the one who is alive forevermore. And they came to a conviction and now they surrendered their lives to him out of that conviction. The word Lord means owner or boss. They made him the Lord of their lives. In other words, they said, it's not my way anymore, it's your way. It's not what I want to do, it's what you want me to do. It's not what I want to say, it's what you want me to say. I'm not my own anymore, I'm yours. And they came to a conviction about Christ. They were no longer broadly, broadly following Jesus. They just didn't follow because of his values. No, they now said, you are the son of God. You are the one who gave your life for me. You're the one that died and rose again. And now I am absolutely convinced and they were powerfully converted. They were different people from that day on. See, but the fact is, the word Christ means Savior. It means the one who saved me from death and the fate worse than death, hell. is the one who gave himself for me so that I could not only, not only have a great life on earth, but that I will have eternal life in heaven. He's the one who made a way where there was no way. He's the one who came with the truth that transformed my life. He's the one that is showing me the life that he wants to live. And the fact is, you come to a place of conviction about him, you now begin, begin to say, without him, I'm absolutely sunk. Without Jesus, there's nothing to live for. Without Jesus, there's no one. Without Jesus, life is meaningless. Without Jesus, we are on the road to hell. But he's come, and he's died, and he rose again. When you come to a conviction about him, you'll never deny him again. When you come to a conviction about him, you'll never turn away from him again. When you come to a conviction about him, you will never choose anyone or anything else or any other lifestyle other than the lifestyle he wants you to live. These people were so convinced about Jesus and who he claimed to be, that they identified themselves as his followers by being baptized. They got baptized in water. Baptism goes through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anyone who got baptized, they were saying, we're putting our lives on the line. Because every Jew was watching, and every enemy of Christ was watching and they knew they would be hunted down from the day that they got baptized because now they were surrendering to Christ. And if they crucified Christ, they were going to search you out and crucify you. And many of them suffered and gave their lives in their faith for Jesus Christ. But they said, if he died for me, I'm dying for him. If he now was buried, I'm burying my past and as I come up out of the water, I'm rising to new life in Jesus Christ. And there is no going back. I'm going to follow him for the rest of my days. For the rest of my days. You know, friends, on Palm Sunday, it was that the crowd stood and they laid their clothes down before him. They took their coats off and they laid it before him. On the day of Pentecost, they laid their lives down for him. It's the difference between being broadly Christian, broad, you know, I'm just not in or out, I'm just broadly following. 
to the place of absolute conviction. <laughs> they said, my coat, he can have everything that I've got. Oh, they said, only my coat on Palm Sunday. But on the day of Pentecost, they said, he can have my life. I'm laying my life down for him. I'm totally convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I am convinced and now I am totally a follower of Jesus Christ without reserve. So this morning, what will you do? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, it says, 3,000 people turned from being broadly supportive of Jesus to being fully convinced about Jesus, and they were powerfully converted. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 3,000 in one day changed from being broadly supportive to now being totally convinced and converted. So today, what would happen? What would happen? I'm talking to everyone in this place. I don't think that I'm trying to single anyone out. I'm talking to you. What would happen if you and everyone else in this room made the statement this morning, I'm not a broadly believer in Jesus. I'm not, I'm, not I'm not just believing in the values. and I, 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 I'm not a just a Judeo-Christian in the sense that I believe in the values of Christianity. No, I am a fully convinced follower of Jesus Christ. I am convinced that he is the Son of God, the only Savior of the world. I am convinced that he is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father but by Him. I am convinced that you may have many, many religions in the world, but the fact is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not a religion. He's a person that we surrender our lives to, and He's the only way to heaven. I'm sorry if I offend you because you're a Muslim. I'm sorry if I offend you because you are a Buddhist. I'm sorry if I offend you because of your any of the millions of religious faiths that are in the world today. But I cannot move away from the fact that it wasn't a religion that found me when I was in sin. It wasn't a religion that saved me and converted me. It was none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Now, friends, let me challenge you. Let me challenge you this morning. If you are saying, Jesus, I've been powerfully converted. You may have wandered. You may have wandered to a place of broadly believing. You may have wandered to a faith of a place of, of, of liking the values of Jesus. You may have drifted from the fiery place of following Jesus that you were once in. But this morning, I'm challenging you as a pastor. I'm challenging you as a friend. Where are the people who will stand this morning and say, Oh no, John, I've made the decision. I'm following Jesus with all my heart, my soul, my might. And how many of you will stand and say, I am, I am giving it all up to Jesus. You may have done it five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, but renew it right now. And say, Jesus, I am fully convinced. I am fully convinced that you are the only Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, the one who came and gave his life for us, the one who died and rose again from the dead, the one who is on the throne of heaven right now, the one who is my Lord and my Savior, my God and my King. 
Some of you who have followed Jesus for many years, you're realizing right now, boy, I've slipped, I've wandered. You're saying, I'm coming back this morning to a fully convinced, fully committed faith in Christ. Listen in America, listen in America. Only those who are convinced will be able to stand the days that are coming. Only those who are convinced are going to be able to stand what's going to happen in this country. Oh, friends, listen, I know you're trusting in someone or something to happen that will take the government in a certain direction and it's going to get better. Listen, friends, the Bible says as we come close to the end, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And it's only those who are convinced, it's only those who have put their faith in Jesus say, I'm totally convinced there's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other life. You need to come back to him today and say, Jesus, here I am. I'm giving it all up to you. And if it is that you've wandered and you say, I've got to come back today, I'm going to make a fresh commitment of my life, just raise your hand to heaven right now. Just raise it and say, this is me. I'm giving it all back to him. I'm giving it all back to him. I'm giving it all back to him. Now, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. If you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you to be baptized. I've set these tables up at the front here. There's cards on the tables. Because if you really mean it, if you really mean it, I am convinced that you want to do what Jesus said had to be done. That it is that you'll go through the steps of his crucifixion and his resurrection. That you will say, I'm going to get in that tank. My past is dead. I'm burying it in the tank. And when I get up out of the tank, I'm rising to a new life in Jesus Christ. If you've never been baptized, I challenge you to sign up to be baptized today. The team are going to sing. I don't want anyone leaving for a moment. I've actually finished a little early this morning. What went wrong? Uh, But listen, if you've never been baptized, but you are a convinced follower of Jesus, Or if you were baptized and you say, I I got baptized, I don't even remember what it was about. I didn't didn't know what it was about. I challenge you to get baptized. Now, baptism is at the end of May. So you've got a few weeks to sort it out. You say, oh, Pastor John, I'm scared stiff of water. Get over it. Just get over it. I, I don't hold anyone under the water too long. Unless you've been a bad sinner, then I'll keep you under. But... I challenge you this morning to get out of your comfort zone and to say, Jesus, if you want me to be baptized, the first sign of my obedience to you is that I'm going to get baptized. And I want you to come and sign up for that right now. Just move out in your seat right now. Come right down and say, I want to be baptized. And the next time and next opportunity, I'm going to be baptized. I want to mark today as the day that I'm getting my life totally in the hands of Jesus. If you're in the balcony, it's worth the trip down. Come through the side doors. You know, you know, you know, you know when God is speaking to you. And he's speaking to you right now. He's saying, I want you to obey me. If you say you're fully convinced, then please obey me. Come on, let's sing this song and then I'll come back and close out. And you come forward and sign up to be baptized. And we will make sure that you get the information and that you give your life totally to Jesus. Praise God. Praise God.
to hear your voices. I, I want the devil to hear you make this confession. I want the, the world to know that as far as Riverside Church is concerned, we are a people convinced who Jesus Christ is. Come on. Lord Jesus Christ. I am convinced you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No one comes to God but through you. I give myself to you. I surrender to you. Your will over my will. Your desire over my desires. You are my Lord and you are my Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now give him some praise right there. God bless you. God bless you. Don't forget. Don't forget on Good Friday, there'll be time for you to come. You don't have to come and spend the whole time, nine o'clock until three. You can come in for minutes or you can come in for hours. It's up to you. You come and go as you please. Just come and spend time at the cross. Come back on a Good Friday night at six o'clock and we'll celebrate Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Amen. And then next Sunday, next Sunday, I promise you, this place is going to throb with the presence of God as we celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. God be with you and God bless you.